by mid-September, I've already started decorating for fall just to indicate to mind, hey, the season is shifting. And then once this weather changes, incorporating much more root vegetables, beets, squashes. If I eat out, I'm looking for that pumpkin soup. Um, incorporating more warm foods, maybe letting go of as much of icy protein shakes, although I still have them sometimes, and incorporating more of those warm dishes and making sure that we're keeping the body warmer, covering the body a little bit more. Hey there, my friends, it's Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Mother Project podcast. Today, we're joined by Dr. Shivani Gupta, a world-renowned Ayurvedic practitioner with over 20 years of experience practicing Ayurveda in both the US and India, including getting a PhD in turmeric. Yes, the spice and the supplement that we talk so much about, we are literally talking to the one of the world's experts in that, so that's going to be really cool. What I'm excited about in this particular conversation is to actually unpack what Ayurveda is in this, uh, basically what many people would consider like the root of a lot of our medicine that came from India that has so much wisdom in terms of how we can approach our health and our longevity and our well-being. And Dr. Gupta's work is really powerful because it kind of bridges the gap between this ancient Ayurvedic wisdom with modern medical practice. Um, and she also has a lot of amazing supplements and formulations that I'm sure we'll get into in this conversation. Um, and not to take too much from Dr. Gupta's story, but growing up, she battled some chronic illnesses due to a weak immune system. So this made her search out for different ways that she could heal. And then she found Ayurveda. And now she's changing so many people's lives. So Dr. Shivani Gupta, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's kick it off and let's define what Ayurvedic medicine is, because I think only a, a certain percentage of our listeners are even familiar. Sure. So it's an entire system of health, healing, and medicine from India that's over 5,000 years old. And within that system, it encompasses not just all the different subspecialties of medicine as we know them nowadays, but it's really a preventive lifestyle. It's known as the science of life. That's what Ayurveda means. So it's the way we can live every day to prevent chronic disease, to bring mind, body, and spirit into alignment, to have an understanding that we are of nature. And so to be in balance with nature brings that harmony and wholeness into us that we want. And it's a very powerful anti-inflammatory lifestyle as well. The way Ayurveda is taught is it's all about gut health. It's all about circadian rhythm. It's all about balancing our individual mind-body constitution called our dosha. It's all about bringing all these things into harmony so that that alignment that we want is possible and then we're in flow with all of life and all the things we want come to us instead of us fighting so uphill to get those things. I mean, that sounds great. I think everyone listening is like, sign me up. And I also can't help but smile because I think the modern medical landscape is now just like catching up to this ancient wisdom. And now everything everyone's talking about is circadian rhythm balance, digestive health, uh, personalized medicine. And it's it's hilarious because this is like the root of Ayurveda. Um, exactly. And now everything's just kind of coming full circle. So the truth will out. And on that note, I'd love to speak about the concept of doshas because I think it's fascinating. Can you explain the main doshas in Ayurveda and um, you know the characteristics both physically and mentally and how people can start to think about maybe their selves and their own constitution in relation to this philosophy? Sure. So the doshas are this con concept out of Ayurveda where each of us is bio-individual. Each of us has our own primary and secondary constitution. And that dosha is actually decided at the moment of conception. 
So it's a combination of our two parents, the season we are coming from, the years we are born in that decides who and what we are. And that dosha rules our personality, our physical good and bad traits throughout our lives. And so what I like to do is do a dosha quiz on each person. I have one on my website. And once you do that quiz, you come to understand, are you more vata, pitta, or kapha? And here in the West, we pronounce them vata, pitta, and kapha. That's how I say them. (laughs) (laughs) And so within those, a vata person tends to be more of the elements of air and ether. This is based on the five elements. So when you're more air and ether, you're going to have the elements of that, more motion, quick mind. You're going to be thin and wiry, someone who's very nimble and very active, who is always like a busybody, always in motion. So a vata person is someone who runs around, barely has to eat any food, sometimes doesn't get all their projects finished so they can look a little flaky, but they're also the most creative artistic types as well. And so vatas can have poor digestion, poor sleep, anxiety. A lot of the traits that fit a certain person who's running like a tornado would fit a vata person. Mm -hmm. Then you have the pitta body type. Pitta is fire with some water. So that's someone who's fiery, ambitious, driven. They want to do a lot of things in life. Physically, they look more reddish. They look more medium body, red hair, red skin, premature graying, powerful digestion. So this is someone who gets hangry very easily. I fit in the pitta category. Um, and so the negative traits of pitta are anything you would use to define a volcano. Like this is someone who can explode and ignite and erupt all over the people around them if they don't manage themselves and cool that nuclear reactor type temperature inside of them. And then you have the guffa person. A guffa person is earth with water. So this person is of the earth, bigger boned, stronger. They can usually lift heavier. They have thick, curly, oily hair, big eyes, rounded features. And their traits are they feel like mother earth. So they're very one thing at a time, very nurturing. They feel like a grandma who just wants to feed and love you. And so the negative traits of guffa at times is they're very slow and steady. They might not have that momentum or that speed that modern day times the saying is valuable. Um, And they might not be able to get up off the couch. Like they have this heavier energy. And so movement is tougher for them. But Mm -hmm. we have tools to balance each and every dosha and support each and every one. And everyone has a primary and a secondary dosha. And so it's interesting to find that interplay with everyone and understand, okay, if that's you, what do you need to balance yourself? And how can we support you to really leverage your dosha? Because once Mm -hmm. you understand yourself better and honor yourself, then you have an easier time understanding how to stay in balance and thus win at everything you want. Nice. And it's fair to say this should be why certain people due to their doshic balance and basically their own individual geometry, if you will, are going to gravitate towards certain types of activities, certain types of foods, and then you know certain types of pitfalls, which is basically what you just said. But I think I want people to really understand this and maybe even think about people in their your own family um, and maybe even your kids. Like, where do you think they fall? Do you have a fiery kid? Do you have a little more of the steady, heavy kid? Do you have the light, airy, kind of all over the place kid? Um, it's fun to start to think because you can certainly see these patterns working. So that's awesome. So Ayurveda, concept of doshas. And I know there's a huge aspect of too of understanding like what I'll call like the energetics of the food. Like foods have either warming or cooling or spicy or certain kinds of qualities. Can we speak into that? Because I think that interplays nicely in terms of how food fits into the doshas, right? For sure. So when it comes to food, a lot of what we eat, we don't realize could be counterbalancing to the dosha that we are. So for example, a vata person tends to like 
light foods, dry foods, but they happen to exacerbate that dosha and make it worse. A pitta person like me, we love super spicy, oily foods, but that further ignites the fire and can be problematic to us. And then kapha people love those heavier foods, but then they are not supported to be light and moving. So it's interesting when you look at food and understand whether it's warming or cooling, whether it's heavy or light, whether it will ignite you or calm you down. There's a lot of power in leveraging what foods you eat to constantly calibrate and control yourself. So for example, a pitta person in the summer should not be eating the spiciest foods every time. But if you do, because you're addicted to them, like myself, you can have coconut water with that meal. You can have different things before or after to hydrate and cool the system and counterbalance the negative effects. So I like to play with that a lot and leverage food to stay more balanced. Can we talk about some of the spices and additives that are on the cooling side versus the warming side and how people might take, like, I know like some fit moms listening are being like, well, I'm thinking about dinner right now. My family likes to cook a lot of like basic protein and veggie kind of scenario. Can they use different side dishes or spices or herbs to kind of like make it more on the cooling profile and the warming profile? And then what would be some examples of maybe how you could prepare a dish like chicken and then make it cool and then maybe how you could make it warm? Sure. So an easy way to warm it up is turmeric, ginger, um, even cumin should have a... I'm not sure about cumin. I feel like cumin can go both ways because it's good for everything. But turmeric and ginger are easy ones that are warming to the system. And those you can slice up and add to most foods, especially chicken, to flavor it up, add that flavor to it. Um, And then foods that are cooling are more like cilantro, parsley, those types of spices are very cooling to the system. And so to add those in in the summertime, for example, would be better. That's why you see people come up with cilantro dips and things like this in the summertime is to cool the system. And even looking at your year as a seasonal Mm -hmm. year and taking that step forward and saying, okay, well, the winter season is when I eat those warming foods, those heavier foods. My body wants to hibernate and be in that mode. So eating more nuts is also very warming to the system. Eating Mm -hmm. anything that has, um, you know, you don't use a lot of these spices here in the West, but even like mustard seed, for example, would be warming. And then using those other cooling ones in the summer are beneficial. I think it's interesting, like, you know, not that all fruits are warming, or I'm sorry, not all fruits are cooling per se, but like a watermelon is available in the summer, Yes, but it's not available in the winter. And we think of winter as being a lot of these like root vegetables, squashes, and stews maybe like stews with spices and stuff like this that, you know, would keep someone warm internally. So it's cool to see even how seasonal availability of ingredients based on where you live almost might even fit this, this, uh, this kind of concept. Very much so. And Ayurveda teaches us that the importance of seasonal eating and really being in sympathy with nature is living according to your circadian rhythm and paying mm-hmm. attention to geographically where you live, like you just said, and eating seasonally for that is even better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where do you live? And and like, let's talk about how your nutrition has personally changed throughout the summer and then coming into this period of time heading into the winter. Sure. So I live in Fort Lauderdale. And okay. so we don't have major seasonal changes. We don't have a real winter. But mm-hmm. just now the weather cold, like cooled down. Right around Halloween, we get the cool down. And mm-hmm. immediately, by, by mid-September, I've already started decorating for fall. 
just to indicate to mind, hey, the season is shifting. Mm-hmm. And then once this weather changes, incorporating much more root vegetables, beets, squashes. If I eat out, I'm looking for that pumpkin soup. Um, mm-hmm. Incorporating more warm foods, maybe letting go of as much of icy protein shakes Mm-hmm. although I still have them sometimes, and incorporating more of those warm dishes and making sure that we're keeping the body warmer, covering the body a little bit more. Um, but adjusting to season matters. And here in South Florida, it's burning hot in the summer. Like we hit mm-hmm. those 100 degree temps. So I do the flip side. Some Spring through summer is more salads, more salads with fruit, mm-hmm. more, sal- more of every single fruit that's available. So the minute yeah. I see plums, peaches, and all those foods come in, I make sure that that's what we're incorporating in our house. Nice. That's really cool. Um, what's the what's the quality of eggs? Are they heating? And like in in it, does the preparation method matter? That's a great question. I mean, intuitively, I think eggs are neutral to heating. I wouldn't mm-hmm. call them cooling in the system. Yeah. And what's interesting is in IRV that there's what it does, and then there's like what the the internal system appreciates it as. Mm-hmm. So I do think that eggs would be heating. I don't know that preparation matters so much, boiled versus fried versus scrambled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still the same food, but mm-hmm. you can turn or turn turn up or turn down that temperature with what you put on it. Turmeric and yeah. things like that would increase with black pepper. I always tell people, remember the black pepper or, you know, add cilantro and spices, like herbs on top and that would cool it down. Nice. All right, so let's talk about some Ayurveda super spices. And before I just jog my memory, I'm actually, and you might be proud of me for this, is tonight I'm soaking some mung beans and I'm making like a kitchari spice in the mung beans. So I'm doing something that I think Ayurveda would appreciate as like a, a sattvic doll kind yes, of scenario, with some, wow. even with some ghee. So I'm on it. Um, Amazing. This is, this is like good timing. Maybe you inspired me subconsciously to eat this for dinner because I was speaking to you. Let's talk about some Ayurveda super spices and certainly take a nice hard pit stop on turmeric too. Can you kind of fill us in on some high notes of spices that you would urge um, now your Western friends for the most part here to incorporate into their family's meals? Sure. So any Indian household is going to have this box. We call it the masala dhani. That masala box is how we use, how we cook pretty much every dish in the Indian kitchen. So we have cilantro in dry form as coriander. We have Mm. red chili powder. We have turmeric, of course, because we're obsessed. We have cumin spices. We have garam masala. And then in my case, we have a mango powder called amchur that we use in case we're, in case we want to punch up the lemon flavor and lemon itself is not going to do it enough. Um, and then of course, in addition, you can have fenugreek, you can have fennel seeds, mustard seeds, and there's like a whole other secondary spice cabinet. And then there's also a spice called hing. And I love hing. Hing is also known as asafoetida. That's the more Western name for it. But if you look up hing, H-I-N-G, it's my favorite spice to have in my cabinet for myself and my kids. So whenever anyone has any indigestion, bloating, they get home from any dinner at at a restaurant and it didn't suit well, we make a special remedy called hing kapani. Hing kapani just means you take a cup of water, boil it, you add a pinch of hing and a pinch of a second ingredient called gala namak. Gala namak we use in our cooking as well, pretty much in our yogurt more than anything. Um, but that remedy, you just cool it to tea temperature and drink it. And all of a sudden, it like cures all that pain in the stomach. So I've used it a million times throughout my life. I use it on my kids whenever my kids like, oh, stomach ache, I don't feel good. So that to me indicates the power of the spices. Like you can just boil it in water and drink it and completely undo like GI distress. Half the time people don't have to go to GI doctors when they use that remedy with me. So that's like the simplicity of Ayurveda. 
One thing we do before we cook any beans or any lentils from Ayurveda is, or even in Indian cooking, is we heat oil and we add hing and cumin seeds in there. We wait till those cumin seeds are like aromatic, kind of popping and and cooking, and then we start the cooking process. So we've basically given ourselves a pre-digestive spice to support the digestive process of anything that's hard to digest. So cauliflower, broccoli, any vegetable I cook and any lentil I cook, which we do those every day, we have those two spices on board because they're the most powerful tools next to turmeric, of course, in that toolkit when it comes to our health. I got the first one, hing. The second one, can you say it one more time? Cumin. Oh, it was cumin. I'm sorry. But there was in the, in the I meant in the actual oh, in digestive remedy. remedy. Yeah. In the remedy, it's hing and kala namak. K-A-L-A and namak, N-A-M-A-K-H. Awesome. That's yeah. really cool. And I mean, my my attempt at this, and I, you're going to make me up my game from listening to this and learning, is I have two teas. I typically have like a ginger digestive tea or a peppermint digestive tea, which yes. both are good digestive tonics and one's warm and one's cold. So depending on the constitution of the like issue, if you will, yes. I use one of those, but this sounds even better. And I love the idea of using digestive spices as a part of the cooking process. It seems like super cool. I love that. Yeah, it it makes so much sense. They're natural remedies. So why not use these natural tools and strategies that we have available to us that are quick remedies as well, but also help go and support the body on so many levels. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some ghee. So ghee, clarified butter, for those who don't know, is a huge aspect of a lot of Ayurvedic meals. How is that different than someone who's maybe has like a grass-fed butter in their house? And what are some of the health benefits and in, in, in uses, both culinary and maybe even otherwise? Sure. So ghee is what we've used for thousands of years. Ghee is con- kind of multi-purpose. You could use it in so many different ways, with or without food. Um, But when it comes to food, we believe it has such a cooling and beautiful effect on the body. It's going to encourage peristalsis. So if you're constipated, eat some ghee. If you want to detox the system, eat some ghee. It's like one of our Um, Mm cure-alls. But we love to cook in it in my household. We cook with it. We can put it on top of the food as well, because when you put it on top, it also has those additional benefits. But clarified butter or ghee is considered that butter, that... um, oil, basically, that we're supposed to use in everything that Mm -hmm. we cook. It can be used multifunctionally across any type of dish that you cook. Um, But it's a very pure sattvic food. You used the word sattvic earlier. Mm -hmm. Sattvic to us just means that yogic diet, that pure diet that invites the body to be balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Ayurveda, we have a handful of ingredients that we consider ojas building. Mm-hmm. Ojas is building that nectar of life, that vitality that we all crave. And so almonds, you know, ghee, certain ingredients do that mm-hmm. and give that property to us and can kind of build back that resilience and strength that we want in the body. Mm-hmm. But you can use it as simply as an everyday oil to cook your food with, like a base. You can put it on top for added healthy fat. You can use it as a tonic when you're constipated, just eat a spoon. So there's a lot of multi-use benefits to it. And why is it distinctly different than like maybe like a just a straight up non-clarified butter? Is there a reason that you know that its ghee is clarified and why that's actually beneficial versus like a full butter that hasn't been processed? You know, we use both in the Indian kitchen. It's not like we don't use both. Mm-hmm. It's just ghee is considered more medicinal. The way mm-hmm. it's created and purified makes it better for you, better received, more soothing to the system overall than butter itself. Got it. 
All right. So to kind of plus on this, I want to go deep into turmeric. Like you actually went and you got a, a doctorate studying this is a large part of that. Like why? I mean, it is really, it's really, I mean, I, I think you're going to tell us the profound reasons why. I think it's probably one of the most potent, you know, things that we can do for as a natural anti-inflammatory and helpful and all that. But like lay it down for us on turmeric, why it's so amazing. If someone's not convinced, like what can you share to be like, oh my gosh, I need to get this in my body every single day. Sure. So I love turmeric because it is one of the most powerful anti-inflammatory plants that we can use to naturally reduce inflammation in the system. And people underestimate what the problem is with inflammation. Inflammation is like this forest fire running amok in our system. And our body's running around with this like red alarm fireman running around trying to deal with the problem, making our system distracted, causing aging, causing the stack up of symptoms, causing autoimmune conditions. It's it's the worst root cause of them all that's causing trouble. So the fact that turmeric so intelligently goes after inflammation, first after the bigger issues, then the medium, then the small, mm-hmm. to me is just fascinating that it's so well received by so many genes of the body and so effective at dealing with so many inflammatory pathways in the system. That's mm-hmm. number one. Number two is it's a very powerful antioxidant. It not only reduces oxidative stress, but it goes and stops the things that are causing the oxidative stress. So as we're aging and we have oxidation, we're complaining about joint pain, fatigue, brain fog, poor memory, and all these different issues, all that oxidative stress that's aging us could be reversed, which I think is amazing. Number three, it's an immune modulator. So one of the biggest reasons I love it is I've always needed an immune system. And once I started taking turmeric, I felt like I had one. And so it's antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal. And as someone who has young kids in elementary and middle school, I need a defense. Like I need a fortress against the Mm -hmm. viruses and colds brought into my own home and life. And so Mm -hmm. that's been a very powerful reason why I love it. And then in addition, turmeric is a powerful investment in longevity. We've seen some science on how it extends telomeres. We're seeing Mm -hmm. science um, across the board on how it's a vasodilator, so it increases nitric oxide in the body. So when we start to complain about blood flow not reaching where it needs to go in the body, we could be taking turmeric for that. Um, And other than that, I I wish that people understood that inflammation is really the main reason we should all be taking potent turmeric because that inflammation that our body is struggling with is pretty universal. And that's why we have chronic disease at the level we have it. Hey, it's Dr. Ray. I want to quickly pause this episode to thank you so much for listening to this Fit Mother Project podcast. I am just blown away at how amazing this podcast has become, all the powerful stories, all the great expert interviews. And I am so grateful for you for tuning in and being here with everything we're creating here at the Fit Mother Project. And I just wanted to pause to acknowledge you and thank you again for listening. Please keep listening and tuning in to all the great stuff we're doing here at the FMP. Let's get back to today's episode. Just imagine the world if if people didn't take as much or if any of the normal NSAIDs, Advil, Motrin, Aleve, and use turmeric instead, which is a lot better tolerated, a lot more broad spectrum, and a lot healthier for the benefits. It seems like that'd be a good move. I have heard that turmeric is not very well absorbed in the GI tract. Correct. Are there ways to increase that? Or is it just in, in how, like a couple questions, are there ways to increase that? Two, do you still recommend people take supplements or could I just take a couple tablespoons of turmeric powder? And if so, like how much? Sure. Just kind of like, let's speak into that a little bit. 
Sure. So the issue is that out of the entire turmeric plant, a lot of people are eating it raw and juicing it. When you dry it up and use it as a spice, it's that much more potent and concentrated in terms of the result it's going to give you. So if you are going to cook with it, I recommend using the spice. What most people don't realize is out of the entire turmeric that you're consuming, only 3% is the curcuminoids. And those curcuminoids are the most effective way to help reduce inflammation, curcumin being the most potent out of the three. And so if you are going to take a supplement to get that therapeutic dose, that really significant dose of turmeric to actually reduce inflammation in the system, but you're not taking one that's potent, that has standardized to the highest levels, then you're not going to win when it comes to inflammation. And so when you speak about NSAIDs and things like that, eight years ago, I finished my PhD and I just started being this crazy evangelist who was telling everyone, you need to take your turmeric, your knee hurts, take it, you have a cold, take it. And so my family said, you need to make your own turmeric if that's what you're going to say all the time. And when I did, my whole goal was to see, can we replace NSAIDs? Can we show doctors that they can give us less NSAID use and offer an adjunct tool to the patient to help them come off the side effect? I mean, the solutions that have side effects. And so that's been really fun to see is proving that Ayurvedic medicine is as effective as the tools we're using here? And can we change all of Western medicine's approach to inflammation by giving them a natural solution? Nice. That's awesome. Really, really cool. And so people taking supplements would be a good idea, standardized to the best. Is there an amount, like if I do take just the raw turmeric powder and I cook with it, like, should I use a bunch of it? We're talking like, like a tablespoon or like, I guess it depends on the dish. So I don't know if you can give me exact amounts, but like, is it more the better? Just throw it on there. So the measurement is it takes a mason jar of turmeric to get what's in a two week supply of a potent supplement. So I know for a fact that we consume a lot of turmeric in my house, Uh but we don't consume that much in any given week that would equal or two weeks even that would equal what's in the supplement. But I still think we should use turmeric in our food. So when you cook with turmeric, use black pepper or use a healthy fat. Those are the ways to increase the absorption significantly. We know that black pepper increases the absorption by 2000%. So that one's basic. And that's why gutta masala, which is what we use in our cooking, has black pepper in it. That intelligence is already built into the way we cook. So any Indian food you cook, as long as you follow the recipe, you should be absorbing your turmeric. But I also tell people that when you take the supplement, it should be built with black pepper or a lipid-based formula. Mm -hmm. If it's not, take it with a meal um, just to make sure you're getting that fat when you take your supplement. Nice. Cool. Um, Okay. So one thing that, and this is kind of like a personal anecdote that I've taken from Ayurveda and I do in my life on it every day, is I actually use like an Ayurvedic nose oil, like a nasia oil. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the droppers in my nose and I breathe it in and it lubricates my nasal tract. And I think that's something that has been really valuable and I, I truly like. And I think it's not anything that most people typically do. Could we talk about some of these other adjunct practices, things like maybe nasio oil, if you want to speak to that, but any other things like topical skin or hair or any of the other amunctories and stuff like this, what Ayurveda has to say about that? Sure. So Ayurveda has a practice called Dinacharya. Dinacharya means the daily self-care rituals for vibrant health. Mm-hmm. And well, vibrant's my word, but longevity and health mm-hmm. is what Ayurveda teaches. And what I like to show people is we can build a rhythm through our daily lives where we are doing little things all day that are acts of self-love, self-care, self-awareness. And by building that rhythm with the self-care, we're not only retraining ourselves to focus on self, tune into our intuition and keep our health and our well-being as the number one priority, but also we're investing in daily detox. 
which is a part of Ayurveda. In Ayurveda, we want people to do one profound, healthy detox per year, if not also de- like do seasonal detoxes to clear out your doshic imbalances from the last season and step into the new one fresh and ready. And so some of the self-care rituals include using a tongue scraper, like a copper metal tongue scraper every morning, doing oil pulling where you put oil in the mouth, hold it for five to 20 minutes and move it around and really spit that out to clear out all bacteria and bad things in the mouth, which gives you a clearer oral microbiome, which is connected to our gut microbiome, leads to healthier eating and everything else, less pollution and toxins in the system. We teach about dry brushing and abhyang massage. Those are beautiful self-care rituals to do at night. So for example, for all the fit moms who want to stay healthy and be vibrant, Dry brushing in the night is going to move your lymphatic system. So you'll clear your lymphatic system better at night. Then a young massage is also going to help you with soaking up all those medicinal food grade oils and supporting oileation of your joints. So when we're pounding hard at the gym and trying to build that strength to counterbalance it with these tools can be a very powerful way to build that longevity and that support and give us more years for us to work out that way and build our health. Nice. Yeah, And something you mentioned got me very curious. So I'm sure someone else listening is curious too. What does a major year detox look like or a seasonal detox? Like what's some of the architecture around that? And what would that look like? How would you do it? How does your family do it? Sure. So Panchakarma is what that annual detox looks like. And I have been to India, stayed in a place for three weeks. It's really intense when you go to an Indian center. They really clean out every orifice that could possibly exist. So there's enemas, there's colonics, there's chugging water and, and barfing it up. There's cleaning out your ears and your nose and gel nathi and all the things. So it's quite intense. And I have done it. I did it as a preparation to have my first child. Um, I've done many versions of detoxes here in the US as well. Um, and a seasonal detox is just a one-week version of that. But what I've done is I've created a seven-day free inflammation detox for people. And then I've created a 28-day proper Ayurvedic detox as part of my program. And I like to show people that they can do a level one, two, or three, because sometimes we're not ready for the full enchilada version. But if you just start with building yourself back up with self-care, that alone puts the body into a beautiful state. Then a level two is like drop some inflammatory foods and start some detox tools like infrared sauna, like walking in nature, like um, Epsom salt baths. There's easy ways as a mom to fit in a detox while you're still in your home with your kids, but just releasing those toxins that we all accumulate throughout the year just by eating the foods that are here in the US. Like we have a very toxic food food supply. So we have to detox because the environmental toxic burden on each of us is so significant that I think that's a big part of why we're not losing weight. We are so inflamed. You know, the body is so resistant to so many things. We have so many, um, what is it called? Intolerances and gut issues and gut dysbiosis. So I like to approach it as let's clean the slate. Let's clean it lightly every season and let's clean it properly every year. And that way we're entering each year clean and clear. Nice. A couple more questions for you on the back part of this interview. One is like, as a mom yourself, what are some considerations you have about raising your kids in a healthy manner? Whether that's like the foods that they're eating and stuff you're trying to get into their system, you know, turmeric included, maybe their relationship to technology, helping them maintain their circadian rhythm. Like what what are some like healthy lifestyle things that you really hit on hard in your household? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Some personal insight. Sure. So to me, food is first. Food, water, air. 
So I have a huge water filtration system on the home and I have one at the kitchen sink. And it's so important to me that the water is purified because of the garbage in our water system. So I know my children are at least getting good water here. Can't control outside. Air. We have air filters. But we also have the air doctor here. So I want air purification going on in this home. We also open the windows every week to clear out the air because indoor air pollution can be worse than outdoor air pollution. That's the second big one I've done since they were very little. Third is definitely food. So I'm constantly sourcing from five different grocery stores on a weekly basis and trying to source more local and organic, but that's hard. It's not as easy sometimes to find it. It's doable, but then that's like a new full-time job above food sourcing. And then I have someone who helps me and we cook fresh food five days a week in this house. So five days a week, I'm winning at like... I'd say four days a week, I'm winning at fresh Indian food. One day is fresh Mexican. And then I allow the eating out in between. Um, As my kids get older, it's way harder because they want to eat out all the time. So we're having to like innovate on the food and the dishes because they're opinionated now, which is tougher. Um, And then in terms of devices, that's a big battle. Device time is a big one. So my mandate is we must move outside in nature. And they fight me on it, but they're happier once we're outside. So in 2020, I demanded we go outside for an hour and then fine, you want your tech time, take it. And then when I cut us off, because we have to start our bedtime stuff, you are, you are cut off. But that one move of moving in nature, it's like for me, I just walk clockwise in the park. And if I had a lot on my mind and stressing me out, I would walk counterclockwise to unwind it until I was ready to set the positive intentions and walk clockwise again. Um, But the moving in nature, I think, is what kind of saved us. Like we stayed healthy the whole time. We've stayed happy, abundant. Life is amazing. So I used my evening as my circadian rhythm reset time for all of us. And I noticed if we don't do it, we are all weird and out of sync and stressed and not as nice. (laughs) Nice. That's really cool. I appreciate those specific insights. Yeah. Now, a couple more questions. One is, what is your personal evening routine look like to maintain at least the nighttime part of your circadian rhythm? So on an ideal day, I do my Ayurvedic self-care rituals, which means Mm -hmm. I head upstairs by about eight. I have my deep sleep tea. I created an Ayurvedic tea just for sleep um, that has ashwagandha and prami to settle mind, settle digestive system and settle the body for sleep. I need help with that because usually between my Instagram and my phone and there's too many inputs coming at me and too many opportunities every day and people who need help. So it's it's like I need to align to shut off from my business day. And that's why I start my evening rituals with tea. I'm like, okay, everyone else can step aside. I'll deal with them tomorrow. Yeah. And um, then I like to do my dry brushing. So I'll just pull out a towel. I'll start my dry brushing. If my kids find me, they get excited and they do their dry brushing. Then I do Abhyang with sesame oil. So in Ayurveda, sesame oil is the king of oils. It has vitamin E. It has so many benefits to it. Um, So I do my Abhyang oil, which just means placing oil and massaging the body with oil from your toes all the way up to your neck. And then if you want thicker, healthier, luscious hair, you can also do a head oil massage because we love oil in every aspect. Um, then I like to do an Epsom salt bath because I usually love to like marinate in that, relax, and I'll do my essential oils. Then I'll take a shower and I'm like so ready for perfect sleep. And I get the best sleep on earth if I do it in that order before bedtime. That's 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 like a, I mean, that sounds like luxurious and beautiful and wonderful. And I bet you do feel amazing after that. Yeah. I'm curious. So you like after the, so first the skin oil, and then you get in the Epsom salt bath that works fine that way in that order. Yeah. I mean, obviously you told me that way. Yeah. Yeah. 
It works cool. fine. People just have to remember when you're doing oil pulling, be careful and don't spit that out in your toilet, sink, or bathtub or okay. any of those things. Like throw the oil in the trash. So you'd have to be a little careful with if you're going to use high volume oil, eventually one day you will clog, clog the pipes. So Got it. just a little awesome. Well, I got to say, this was like an awesome conversation. Like I truly loved it and you presented really well. And I know you inspired me, which means you definitely inspired some people listening to to follow these practices. And you mentioned a couple of free resources as well as please speak about some of your products and your, your supplement line and all the things you're up to where people can connect and learn more about you. Sure. So one great way is the supplement company. I make my own turmeric solutions and things like that. That's fusionaryformulas.com. And we made a special code for your listeners, Fit Mother Project. We'll give them 15% off. And then my website is shivanigupta.com, S-H-I-V-A-N-I-G-U-P-T-A. And on there, I have the dosha quiz, the seven-day challenge, my Fusionary Health podcast. And then I'm on Instagram as Gupta. Well, Dr. Gupta, this was a true pleasure. Thank you so much for being here with us and, and really bridging the gap between all this ancient wisdom in such an accessible way. It's very clear that you were practicing what you preach, which I love. The authenticity just oozes off of you. And I learned a ton, so I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey there, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fit Mother Project podcast. If you love what you heard, I have a favor to ask you please consider taking 60 seconds right now to leave us a rating and review on our podcast. Leaving us a review is super quick. It only takes a minute and it's so, so helpful to us as it really boosts this podcast to reach more people who need this information and this message. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a star rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the like button and leave us a comment. Overall, I truly appreciate you being with us here on the podcast. On behalf of me and my entire Fit Mother Project team, we truly feel honored and grateful to support you and your family on your journey to fantastic health. I thank you for your support of this podcast and of this mission. Also, if you're interested in joining our complete Fit Mother program and becoming an official member of our community, you can visit our website, fitmotherproject.com. And on the Fit Mother site, you'll be able to see our complete Fit Mother program along with our online store with the best supplements designed for busy moms. And you'll also find a ton of free resources like recipes, workouts, meal plans, and more. God bless you and your family. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll catch you on the next episodes of the Fit Mother Project podcast. 